If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. Christians love sharing the powerful verse, John 3.16, through things like stickers and sporting events. But is that enough? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his look at the life-changing truth behind the verse, with inspiring stories of believers reaching the lost with its message. Here's David to introduce the conclusion of his thought-provoking message, God Wrote His Love in Red. Well, how do you know that God loves you? He didn't just send you a message. It's in the Bible, that's for sure. No, he sent you a person. He sent you his own son. Jesus Christ is the gift of love from God to prove to you beyond any shadow of a doubt that he loves you. The Bible says he gave up his only son to come and die on the cross and pay the penalty for your sin and mine. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that is and how blessed we should be as we think about it. I hope you are. God wrote his love in red when he sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior. By the way, uh, this material that we're talking about in the God Loves You series is available in book form. It's a book that I produced, and it's the source of this series of radio messages. You can get a copy of that book along with a study guide. You can get the DVD package or the CD package. It's a great curriculum for a small group. Here's how you would do that. You get the book. And you get the volumes that will help your your students by giving them all the study guide. And then you come every week and meet and talk about the questions that are in the study guide, the lesson. It's a tremendous way to grow your own faith. And it's all biblical stuff. It's all Bible. It's not a lot of personal things. It's the Bible and how it applies to your life. Hundreds and hundreds of study groups across America and around the world use these materials. And they're very effective in helping you grow in your faith. Well, right now, we're ready for part two of God's love and how it was written in red. Here we go. Someone had given me a little film clip, and I watched it, and I thought this would be a good way to introduce communion on Sunday and help people understand what it means when the Bible says that God loves us and gave Jesus Christ to be our Savior. It was a film clip, a story of a farming family that made a little money on the side by taking care of the drawbridge for a railway system. On certain days, the father would go to a small little shack, and there he would lower the drawbridge so that the train could pass over. On this particular day in the film, the father got to the little shack. He knew the train was on its way. And as he started to lower the bridge to his horror, he discovered that his little seven-year-old son had climbed up the ties and he was clear at the top of the track. And if he lowered the bridge, he was lowering his son and he would be right on the path of the oncoming train. The brief film showed the agony of the father as he realized that he was faced with the choice of lowering the bridge for the safety of hundreds of passengers on the train 
and in the process sacrificing his own son or failing to lower the bridge and sparing his own son. And the film right at that moment went black. And on the bottom of the screen it said, what would you do? And I don't know what I would do. I would hate to ever have been put in a spot like that. But I know what God did. The Bible says God did not spare his own son. He let the tracks come down so the train could go by. And you and I were on that train. We were on that train. God did not spare his own son. But he gave him up so that we might be saved. God's love is extravagant. God's love is extensive and it's expensive. But God's love is also expansive. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever might be saved. Richard Baxter used to say that he was glad that God put the word whosoever in John 3, 16. He said, I'm glad he didn't put the word Richard Baxter in there. He said, if he had put Richard Baxter in there, I would be tempted to believe that he loves some other Richard Baxter, some Richard Baxter who was less sinful than I am. But when I read the word whosoever, I realize that it has to include me, for that word includes everybody. The Bible says that God loves the world and because of that, whoever believes can receive his love. Each and every person, no matter who they are, where they come from, what language they speak, what color their skin is, what their background is, what they have done or haven't done, the Bible says God loves the whole world and he sent his son to be the savior of the whole world and whoever believes can be saved. It's a hard thing to get that across for some reason. I don't know why. Over the years, I've tried every way to help people understand that whoever includes them. I remember uh, on occasion reading the scripture and putting people's name in it like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that if David Jeremiah would believe, he should not perish, but David Jeremiah could have everlasting life. That's true. But you can put anybody's name in there. Anybody you know, anybody that you've heard of, anybody that you think might not even be a candidate for salvation. What this verse says is this, that if you're alive on planet Earth today, you are a candidate for God's love. For God so loved the world that whosoever might be saved. Well, then you say, Pastor Jeremiah, why isn't everybody saved? Why isn't everybody a Christian? Why doesn't everybody have a free pass to heaven? Because you see, God's love is expansive, but it's also exclusive. Here's what I mean. Whosoever, what's the next word? Believes. Four times in these few verses, Jesus uses variations of the word believe, perhaps the most important key word in John's gospel. The love of God will prove useless to everyone who does not believe. You see, God can offer you his love, and he offers it to the whole world and to everyone. If there's any gospel that you have heard that doesn't work in any place in the world, it's not the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is for the whole world, the third world, for our world, for any world. 
But listen, just because God offers you his love doesn't mean that you get his love. Because in order to get his love, you have to receive it. You have to reach out your hands and take it. If I said, I have tickets to the Padres game, their next game at home, I have enough tickets for everyone, and all you got to do is come up and get it. That would be a genuine offer on my part, but it would only do you any good if you came up here and got your tickets and went to the game. God says, I love the whole world. I love whoever in the world. My love is available. Whoever believes will get my love. So some of you think by just coming to church and hearing about the love of God, that's all you need? Then you're wrong. You go to hell knowing about the love of God. You go to heaven receiving the love of God. The love of God is God's plan of salvation for you. And if you will receive that plan, if you will believe it, if you will accept it, you will have it. But God isn't just going to force his love on you. God offers his love. His hands are wide open. The cross is a picture of his extended arms welcoming everyone to the shed blood of the cross. But my friends, you can't have what you don't receive. Listen to John 3.18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. While it is true, my friends, to say that God loves everyone, it is not true to say that everyone receives that love. Only those who believe receive. God's love is extravagant and extensive and expensive and it's expansive and it's exclusive. Number six, it's exceptional. Whosoever believes will not perish. Now let me straighten you out on that a little bit. Perish does not mean to be annihilated. Perish does not mean that you cease to exist. I know one thing that's true of everyone. I can say this on the authority of the scripture. Listen carefully. Every one of you will be alive somewhere forever. Forever. You know, some teach that when you die, that's it. You cease to exist. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we all live forever. And we're either going to be alive forever in heaven or we're going to be alive forever in hell. But we will be alive somewhere forever. Now the Bible says if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, if we believe that he came to this earth and he was God's love gift to us and he died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin, if we put our trust in him and believe that, we will not perish. The word perish means to be separated from God forever. Sometimes it's referred to in the scripture as the second death. To be separated from God is far worse than all the pictures of fire and brimstone you've ever seen about hell. To be separated from God is to be eternally locked in to your unquenchable thirst, your terrible passions, your appetites, your cravings, your inflamed desires, your fierce longings, your furious hates, your lusts, your white-hot temper, your spine-chilling fear. All of these things will have no relief and no satisfaction and no joy. The Bible says that when you go into eternity, 
as a lost person, you carry into eternity all of the unfulfillment of your life and it's intensified forever and ever and ever. Revelation says it this way, he who is unjust, let him be unjust. He who is filthy, let him be filthy. To perish means to be cut off from God. The word means to be separated forever from the loving God. And the Bible says that when we receive God's love, we will never be separated from God's love. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you receive eternal life. And you don't get eternal life after you die. You get eternal life the moment you believe. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you receive eternal life. When does eternal life start for you? The moment you believe. And that means from the moment you believe all the way out into as far as you can imagine in eternity, you are not separated from God. You cannot be separated from him. Some people ask me, do I believe in eternal security? And I try not to argue with them. I just know what I know. And what I know is the Bible says when you accept Jesus Christ, you get eternal life. And there aren't any cul-de-sacs on that life. There aren't any conditions on that life. There's no ifs on that life. Eternal means eternal. It means it cannot ever end. Listen to Romans 8. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What part of this don't we get? John says it, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When you become a Christian, when you truly put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are given the gift of eternal life. And some of you say, well, I know somebody who they said they were saved and now they're not, they're not living. You know what? That's not my problem. And really, friend, it's not yours either. All I know is what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says, when I put my trust in Christ, He gives me the gift of eternal life. And how many of you know God's not the kind of God who comes and takes His gift back? God is a God who always keeps His promise. And when He gives you the gift of eternal life, listen to this again. And I give unto them, and they shall never perish. The exclusion of God's love can never perish if you have accepted God's love. And finally, and the best part is saved to last, number seven, the perfect number, God's love is eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Some of you know that I have amused myself in my adult life by collecting things that people write on their tombstones. I know that's sick, but I do it anyway. (laughs) One of my favorites is written on a tombstone in, of all places, Tombstone, Arizona. It's an epitaph for a man whose name was Les Moore. I don't think his friends really were mourning his death because this is how the epitaph reads. Here lies Les Moore, no less, no more. (laughs) <laughs> I 
And I got to tell you, that might be true for less more, but it's not true for those who know Jesus Christ. When we die, we will be more alive than we have ever been. John 3, 16 says, when we believe, we have eternal life as our present possession. Eternal life begins now. John 3, 16 begins with the God who has no beginning, and it ends with a life that has no ending. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. In his autobiography, author Arthur Miller tells of his marriage to Marilyn Monroe. During the filming of The Misfits, Miller watched Marilyn descend into the depths of depression and despair. He was fearing for her life as he watched their growing estrangement, her paranoia, and her continued dependence on barbiturates. One evening after a doctor had been persuaded to give Marilyn Monroe yet another shot and she was sleeping, according to Miller in his book, Time Bends, Marilyn was lying in bed under the influence of the last shot she had been given. And Miller said, I found myself straining to imagine miracles. What if she were to wake and I were able to say to her, Marilyn, God loves you, darling. And she were able to believe it. And then he said this, how I wished I still had my religion and she had hers. What a telling moment in the life of a famous person. This is the message of this series of messages God loves you, he always has, and he always will. What we do with that love is all important. God does not force it on us. In fact, I don't know that you can force love on someone. But I want to tell you what the Bible tells us today as clearly as I can. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever your background, whatever situation you're in, with authority on the basis of the word of God, I am telling you today, God loves you. He always has loved you. He always will love you. What you do with that love is up to you. But you will never be able to stand before a holy God and say, why don't you let me into your heaven? For God has made it possible for you to go. All you have to do is accept his love gift in Jesus Christ. We've been hearing a lot lately about the Titanic the greatest ship of its time. A lot of movies and documentaries and books have been written on the sinking of the Titanic and some of them on people who were aboard the Titanic like John Jacob Astor IV or the unsinkable Molly Brown. Yet one of the stories of the Titanic that most people don't know is one I want to tell you right now. It's the story of an heroic pastor who boarded the Titanic with his six-year-old daughter and had the privilege of preaching at one of the greatest moments of tragedy in history. He was on his way to America, to the Moody Church in Chicago, named for its famous founder, Dwight L. Moody. He was not only going to preach in that church, but he was there to assume the pulpit of that church. He was to be their next pastor. When the Titanic hit the iceberg, Harper successfully led his daughter to a lifeboat and because he was a widower, he could have gotten on the lifeboat too. But instead, he put her on the lifeboat and he determined to stay and try the best he could to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as he could. Harper ran from person to person, passionately telling others about Christ. 
as the water began to submerge the unsinkable ship, Harper was heard shouting, women, children, and the unsaved get into the lifeboats. Rebuffed by a certain man at the offer of salvation, Harper gave him his own life jacket. He said, if you're not going to receive Jesus Christ, you better put this on because you need it more than I do. Up until the last moment on the ship, Harper pleaded with people to give their lives to Jesus Christ. The ship disappeared beneath the deep, frigid waters, leaving hundreds floundering in its wake with no realistic chance for rescue. Harper struggled through hyperthermia to swim to as many people as he could, still sharing the gospel. He would lose his battle with hypothermia, but not before giving many people one last chance to receive Christ before they died. Four years after the tragedy at a Titanic survivor meeting in Ontario, Canada, one survivor recounted his interaction with Harper in the middle of the icy waters of the Atlantic. He said he was clinging to ship debris when Harper swam up to him twice, challenging him with a biblical invitation to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He rejected the offer once, yet given the second chance and with miles of water beneath his feet, the man finally gave his life to Christ. And then as Harper succumbed to his watery grave, this new believer was rescued by a returning lifeboat. As he concluded his remarks at the survivors' meeting, he simply stated, I am the last convert of John Harper. (laughs) When the Titanic set sail, there were three classes of passengers. Yet immediately after the tragedy, the White Star Line in Liverpool, England, placed a board outside its office with only two classes of passengers. One side of the board said, known to be saved, and the other said, known to be lost. The owners of the Titanic had simply reaffirmed what John Harper already knew. There are people who know Christ and will spend eternity with God, known to be saved. And there are people who have rejected that opportunity, and they are known to be lost. And I want to ask you today, which list are you on? Because everyone is on one list or the other. Either you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you're known to be saved and you'll spend eternity with the Almighty. And if you have not accepted it, maybe you have not ever had an opportunity to accept it. Maybe you've never even heard the gospel until today. That's possible in this post-Christian world. But maybe you've heard it over and over again and you've just never, ever done anything with it. Maybe you think that somehow God's love is going to penetrate your life whether you do anything or not. I'm here to tell you, God loves you. He always has and he always will. But you cannot have his love unless you receive it. And when you receive his love by receiving his son, Jesus Christ, you become a possessor of eternal life and your name is put on the list. Known to be saved. Known to be saved. Which list are you on? Well, I'm so thankful that I'm on the list. And at the top of that list, is it says, known to be saved. When we get to heaven someday and stand before the Lord, it won't be what kind of life we lived or how good or bad we were or whatever we did to sacrifice for other people. There's only one question that will matter. Have you received my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your Savior? And if you cannot answer that in the affirmative, 
you will not be admitted to heaven. It's the only way you can go to heaven. Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Have you come to the Father through Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you like to do that today by just bowing your head and praying and just saying, Lord God, I'm a sinner. I know that. I'm not trying to fool anybody. I need to be saved from my sin. I need to be forgiven for the things I've done. Would you please forgive me, God? And would you give me your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be my Savior? And when you pray that prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ will come and live in your heart, and you'll become a Christian. And the love of God, which John talks about in this third chapter of his gospel, will become true in your life. I hope you will do that. If we can help you, let us know. We'd love to send you some information to help you get started. And we're ready to do that if you'll just let us know and ask. You can also get a copy of the book Heaven Rules by Nancy DeMoss during the month of January. It's our resource of the month. Uh, This is yours for the asking. When you send your gift to Turning Point today, we'd love to send this book to you and let you know how you can live in the security of the sovereignty of God every day, knowing that God is in charge. It's a great book with many, many personal applications and stories of how God has used this truth in other lives. It's yours for the asking when you send your gift today. Don't wait. This is just for January. So ask for the book when you send your gift today. message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you update us on this ministry's impact on your life? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Heaven Rules by Nancy DeMoss Wolgeman and learn to find comfort and courage in this chaotic world. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will, here on Turning Point. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Sometimes Christians are interested in knowing God's will for their life, more out of curiosity, so that they can discover God's will and then 
based on personal preference, decide whether to do it or not. But the great Olympic sprinter, the Scotsman, Eric Liddell, had a good word to say about this view of God's will. Obedience to God's will, he said, is the secret of spiritual knowledge and insight. It is not willingness to know, but willingness to do God's will that brings certainty. God is looking for those who are ready to take up their cross and follow Christ wherever he leads. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's love of obedience on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.